Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. We serve a great God, don't we? I was thinking the, uh, the way that Peter describes the Lord in the, his uh, benediction there at the end of 1 Peter is the God of all grace. And just love that picture. He's not just the God of grace, he's the God of all grace. And so grateful for all that he's given us. And part of that grace is being together today. Thank you for, for being here today, excited for what he has for us. This is week three of our orientation series. And just to uh, bring us back up to speed here, our theme this year is simply this, follow me, let's do some good. And, and uh, the follow me is the calling of Christ to follow him into a life of love, humble, loving service. We're summing that up with that little phrase, let's do some good. Has that become anyone's motto yet? Are you guys saying that when you wake up or get ready to do something yet? Nobody yet? Okay, that's, hey, we've got all year for this. But hopefully it'll just be kind of part of our get up and go mode is just, all right, let's go do some good. And we do it for him and with him and, and uh all of that. Well, today, what we're doing is laying a foundation, six core truths that really are going to be like the launch pad we'll step up off of for the rest of the year. These are important to, to get. They're core truths that help us for the rest of our lives, but especially this year as we set out to do good. And today's truth takes a, uh, a bit of a painful turn, and to help set the tone for it, I, I, may I ask you a personal question? Is that all right? You guys up? We're all family here, so personal question. You don't have to raise your hand, though, if this is you. Just give me a little uh, maybe finger, finger nod or something like that. So, because it's personal, keep it, keep it between me and you. But here's the question. Are you a groaner when you wake up and get about your morning routine? Are there any groaners in the house? <laughs> all right, Ken's proud of it, too. Good, good, good. I see anybody else. I see that finger. The, uh, okay, we're going to need your help, Ken, because what we're going to do is attempt a corporate groan together, just to set the Genesis 1 and 2, it's, you know, Louis Armstrong singing, it's a wonderful world. Genesis 3, it's a groan. And so just to fill that, you guys ready? Count of three, we'll, we'll do a groan together. What it feels like waking up. One, two, three. No, all right. <laughs> Good. Thank you. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, join me there. The, uh, what we're going to do as we work through this chapter, we'll look at three scenes. You could entitle or hang a, a, really a scene title over each of these as we work through it. And the first one is Paradise Lost. God created this place for Adam and Eve. This first scene, though, is Paradise Lost. It reads in verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? As we work through this first, the temptation, we see the anatomy of really every temptation that we face, which is, one, we start to doubt the goodness of God, that the truth of God gets twisted or, or confused or blurred. The word of God is blurred. We doubt the goodness of God. Then we... Uh, Often it's an appeal to pride. We'll see that happens here. And then passive leadership is involved. But here we see he's questioning. Did God really say 
You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Focused on God being restrictive. What did God really say? It wasn't like, no, you can't eat from this. He was like, eat from any of these trees except these two or this one. But uh, the woman responds to him. We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Interesting side note there. Did God say they couldn't touch it? No. That she added that. Now, it's not wrong to add a restriction. Basically, what I think Adam and Eve did was put up a, put up a fence around the command of God. Put a, like, let's not even touch it. And it's an interesting, this is a whole nother message, but we do that in our own lives, don't we? And, and there's wisdom to doing that. It's not wrong to do that. And yet, it can deteriorate into legalism where we think becoming more strict than even God is will keep us from disobedience. And in the midst of trusting our fences, if we lose sight, what's the main thing that's going to keep us from disobeying God? It's the relationship, right? It's the heart of God. It's this love relationship. We, one example would be, um, appreciated our, our student ministry staff, Lindsay, Tyson, Kimmy, last Sunday doing a purity and technology class for our parents because the challenge for us as parents is the phone, right? It's a portal for evil. So how do you put up a fence around that phone to protect your kids until they get old enough to make wise decisions or, or teach them how to handle that? And... But what's the reality? And we need to have those fences, and, and thankfully we, there's wisdom in all of that. But what's the reality that we as every parent knows and every child knows? You can't put up enough fences to, to stop that kid from getting the, allowing evil to influence them through that phone. If they want that, they will get that. There is only one thing that will protect a kid from the evil in their phone, and that's a heart surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's the, the love relationship, Right? That's it, and that's the aim by the time they're in high school, that, that the heart is surrendered to him. And so it is, um, in this context, ultimately it's a love for God that's going to keep them. What legalism often does is get us focused on God's restrictions rather than God's heart. But uh, moving on here, verse 4 says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the first part of that flat-out lie that they wouldn't die. The second part is agreeing with what God would say. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And so we know Eve here deceived and um, just a bad, bad moment here in paradise. And immediately you think, what's Adam going to say? Adam was given the command, Eve wasn't but he was responsible to care for her, and you're thinking his heart's going to be broke right now, but as we read on, we discover she also gave some to her husband, who was what? He was with her. Like, it was his job to dropkick that snake out of the garden to correct the lie with truth, and he's there with her, and it says he and he ate it. And in that moment that Adam takes the bite, in essence, he declares independence from God, rebels against God, becomes an enemy of God. And Scripture tells us Adam represents us, represents all humanity, and with one act of disobedience, sin whoosh, enters the world and 
darkness, blankets, um, it affects every atom, entropy. And um, our tendency, our theologians call it total depravity. We're not as bad as we could be, but all of us, we are completely um, sinful and now wired to go our own way versus God's way. It's, uh, Paul describes this reality in one, uh, sums it up in one verse, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. Eve was deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. He rebelled. And in that moment that he took to buy paradise was lost. Eden became a battleground. It's interesting, you might write out to the side of your Bible, reconciliation. It's going to be the the theological term we're going to unpack today, but reconcile means to to stop two warring, bring peace to two warring parties, to restore a relationship. And what's interesting about this is, did God's view of Adam change? Did Adam become an enemy? In God's sight, was Adam his enemy? And the answer, as we read throughout Scripture, is no. God never stopped loving Adam and Eve. We see it even in this text where he knows they've sinned, but he comes after them. His love never changes for them. But does Adam and Eve's view of God change? Yes, they now see God as an enemy. That's what needs to be changed and reconciled. Now, we know God's justice will have to be served, but even God in his grace will will discover, takes care of that. But this leads to the second part, next scene. The second scene could be called relationships shattered. Remember Genesis 1 and 2, we see this intimacy and this innocence. And then um, now what happens? We look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves where intimacy and innocence was before now there is shame and they want to cover themselves and not be completely open with one another physically but we know this also moves into the the social and emotional realm and it says uh, verse 8 then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day picture of the probably meeting with him on a regular basis, the intimacy there with him. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And can you see Adam and Eve running through this creation that had been created for them, now trying to hide from their creator? Why? And where there was once innocence and just this intimate relationship, now there's guilt. Shame as they relate to each other, guilt as they relate to God. And what does guilt do? causes them to to want to run and hide from him relationship shattered and then the lord god called to them and said where are you and he adam answered i i heard i heard you in the garden and i was afraid first time we see fear in the bible because i was naked so i hid and he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree that i commanded you not to eat from the man said and here we see relationship shattered where where there was love before and seeking the good of the other, he throws his wife under the bus, blame-shifting to protect himself, self-protection, blame-shifting, refusing to to take responsibility. Adam says, the woman you put here, that, that you put here with me, so first blaming God, but then she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent 
deceived, and I ate. And so why the relational mess that we have in our world today, and even the division we feel in our culture right now, but that's the dysfunction in homes and families, and it starts right, it started right here. It all flows out of our sin. Intimacy and innocence gives way to shame, guilt, and blame shifting. And then the third scene that we see, you could hang the title, Groaning Under Sin's Curse. So what are the consequences of of their rebellion? And we see this in verse uh, 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. You might circle the word enmity. It's the picture of conflict and between your offspring and hers. So where Adam and humans were to take care of creation, now there's going to be a, a rivalry or a, 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 a conflict, a war. He will crush your head and you, you will strike his heel. Theologians see this as the first foreshadowing of the cross. And I, I think it, this gains uh, evidence when you look at the serpent clearly was, L- Lucifer was speaking through this serpent and at the cross, what happens? And the picture of Lucifer, evil, the darkness comes, puts our Savior on the cross who, who came to redeem humanity. So it's that picture of the snake biting the heel of the Messiah. But in that death, the Messiah crushes the head of the snake or the head of, of the evil one, Lucifer, through the cross. But, uh, but he goes on and he says to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And what was the most joyful of moments now is a painful moment. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And this is the picture of conflict within marriage. The word desire there carries the idea of she will, um, most theologians agree this is, look to her husband to fulfill needs that only God can fulfill. And when he doesn't fulfill them, she's going to be frustrated with him and trying to control him and nag him and do all these things. And then it says, and he will rule over you. This doesn't mean that men, God is in, within the curse commanding men to, to rule over women. It's, it's what's going to happen apart from God's grace where there's going to be this conflict. And you look throughout history. This is where gender wars start. This is why we have to have a ministry sheltering wings um, where men use their power and use their influence not to to serve and bless their wife but often the one you look throughout the new testament where god speaks to husbands and you'll notice there's a theme colossians he says love your husbands love your wives and do not be what harsh with them it's that um, picture of just that tendency to to dominate and rule over that uh it's left us in a mess and then uh but to Adam, he, he says this, because you listened to your wife, meaning you let her lead rather than you taking the lead and protecting her, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, that you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat your food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat, you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Here we see where work gets hard for the man. This is where, this is where Monday is, is. You feel that pit in your stomach on Sunday night 
because Monday's coming and it's hard and there's sweat and there's blood and, and it's just, uh, it's not easy. And, the, uh, and then we see death from dust to dust. Some, sometimes you'll hear it said, you know, death is a natural part of life. It was never meant to be. There's, uh, we were not created to die and to go from dust to dust. And yet it's part of the curse. Yep, um, we're going to see um, grace coming, but don't want to jump ahead of, the, uh, of this moment. So as you think about groaning under sin's curse and, you know, why the groan? Romans 8 says all creation groans under this curse. Pain at every level, conflict in every relationship, and death. The separation from our bodies, from one another, from our creator that we were not created to experience is the reason for the groan. Really important to understand as we do life and remember that every tear, the sole source of human suffering is our rebellion against God. But you know, even in the curses, you see the grace of God. They don't deserve to even live. And yet God allows them to live, to have work, to continue on. And we know it's part of a story that's going to be playing out. But before we go there, I thought it'd be good just to fill the weight of what was lost in these moments. And the, uh, we too are in a battle. And maybe some of us, I know all of us actually, the scripture says, be careful that, that you don't think that you, confidence is too high lest you do fall. And so just to um, fill that, I thought it'd be good just to, if we could cut the lights, fill it visually and just think about what Adam and Eve had in paradise and then with one decision, with one bite, paradise lost. And then think about the relationship piece, the intimacy that they had. No shame, no guilt, only love, pure love. And in that moment, relationships fracture, loneliness enters, they hide from God, they separate from each other, they're hurting each other instead of helping each other. And then think about the groan that they would experience under the curse, but since this time, humanity has experienced under this curse. And God told them for the wages, the penalty of sin, it's death. He told them that. He told them paradise lost, relationships shattered, a curse that would create a groan. And yet they chose their way. They chose to, to rebel against him to become an enemy of God. But, but, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what's neat is we watch this story play out, even here in Genesis 3, and the, the heartbreak of this curse and paradise lost is you see the grace of God. In a verse, as the text continues, verse 20 says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Eve doesn't deserve to live. Adam doesn't deserve to live. And yet here we see 
Life's going to happen. And Adam goes ahead and names her that. And then, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What's significant about this? It's God who does this. It's going to be hard out there in the world now, but God, you see His grace, clothes them. It's Him who, who gives them animal skin. And what's this foreshadow? A lamb that would die. These animals didn't, didn't take the bite. They didn't disobey, and yet they suffer so that Adam and Eve can receive protection. It's a picture of Christ being the Lamb of God who through His atoning sacrifice on the cross, we will be clothed with the righteousness of God. And then verse 22, we see it says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good from evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Death is grace. This is where at the funeral we can thank God because if we were able to live forever in a fallen sinful state, it would be hell on earth. And so God causes us to go from dust to dust. And it says, The Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove them out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim, an angel with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard them from the tree of life. God's grace seen even in keeping us from the tree of life. Okay, fast forward then to the coming of Jesus, God, God in flesh. Why did Jesus have to be born of a woman? Why? Genesis 3.15 Born of a woman, fully human, and yet fully God. And what is his first move as he comes back to redeem and to restore and to reconcile us to God? What's his first move? He's baptized, and then where does he go immediately? You, read, you can read about it in the Gospels. Straight into a desert. Second Adam, going into a desert to be what? Tempted. Adam was in a garden with all kinds of food, plush, and yet in that plush environment he fails the fight fails the temptation but our savior the second adam goes into a wilderness for 40 days doesn't eat the enemy comes tempting him in the same way twisting truth causing uh, tempting him to doubt the goodness of god appealing to his pride and yet our the second adam wins the fight that that adam didn't win but it wasn't the last fight it was the beginning of his fight and he would go on to uh after winning that, that fight, go right into building a team to uh, do some good. And how do we do good? Together. And so who does he go to, to set up, to build his team as he sets out to, to, to reconcile the world through, through himself? Sinners. Like people who are broken. People, Peter. We see the first, Luke chapter 5, it's, he's in the boat with Peter. And what's Peter doing? And, and the group of fishermen there, they're sweating under the curse. They've been out all night fishing, haven't caught. And so what's the creator do? He says, let's go fishing again. Peter's like, okay. They go out and he fills up their nets, um, reminding them, hey, I can, I can do your work. And loads up their nets. What does Peter do? Interesting. His first move is fear. Same thing we see in Genesis chapter 3 with with Adam and Eve. He, he's afraid and he falls on his knees and, and then he says, I'm a sinner. And there we see the, the relationships, shame, guilt, and he, he fills, the, fills the, uh, the fracture. And yet, what does Jesus do? You're right, you're a sinner. Get on with your fishing while I do my thing. No, he says, follow me. And they, they leave their boats, leave their nets, and they follow him. And he says, we're going to go fish for people. 
And where's the first place he goes? Into the mess of a leper. You, you don't touch a leper. Luke chapter uh, 5, you see it playing out. Jesus walks up to this leper, and what, what do we know about leprosy? It's contagious. If you, you don't even get near a leper, but if you touch a leper, it's contagious. It's, and it's the curse, right? It's um, disease flowing out of Genesis 3. But when Jesus goes towards the leper, he touches it, and what happens to the, to the disease? He reverses the curse. He heals this guy. But he says, just so you know, or explain, so that he's, he's here to do more than heal disease. Uh, next scene that we see open in Luke is a guy coming through a roof, some friends dropping their, their friend through a roof before Jesus so that he might be healed. He was lame. And what's Jesus say to this guy? Friend. He calls a sinner friend, and then he says, your sin has been forgiven. The guy's like, religious leaders are thinking who ask who are you to forgive this guy's sin and Jesus says just so you know I have the authority to forgive sin clean his soul I'm gonna heal him and he tells him to pick up your mat and walk and then where do we see him go to Matthew to a tax collector's booth who Matthew considered a, a sinner in this culture and he says to Matthew come follow me goes into the mess of, of Matthew's world Matthew throws a party with, for a bunch of Messed up people, fellow tax collectors, and the religious leaders asked Jesus' disciples, why is he hanging out with these guys? And Jesus says that, remember what he says, I've not come for the righteous. I've come for those who, who need a doctor, for those who are not healthy, and I've come to call them to repentance. And repentance is a change of mind. Next, or we'll fast forward to the last fight where we see Jesus on the cross, and who's he hanging between? It's a picture of what he came to do. Two sinners. One rejects him and is mocking him. The other sinner, Luke chapter 23, turns to him and he says this. That, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, how does he respond? Today, you will be with me in paradise. And our God in his grace came into our mess to make death a doorway back to paradise, to restore the relationships that have been shattered, and to reverse the curse that's left us groaning and give us songs of deliverance and songs of salvation. And we see it right here. Today, he says, like, the minute this guy breathes his last breath, he is going to enter the presence of God, and this is our hope as well, isn't it? Because of what Christ did for us on the cross, absent from the body, present with the Lord, today, you, this guy, he's a thief. You, he's a sinner. He doesn't have the breath or the time to go out and do good things and earn his way. Why? Because... None of us do, and none of us can today. You where will be with me. It's that picture of intimacy restored. This guy could be thinking, you know, really, Jesus, I should be like on the other side of heaven or the paradise. Jesus, I know you're going to be with me. It's a picture of grace and intimacy. Today, you will be with me where? In paradise. The way back to Eden. The way back to paradise is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's what he came to do. Now, here's where it gets exciting. He looks at you and me first, and he says, 
turn to me, repent, turn to me. That's reconciliation. Stop running from God. Realize that he loves you. Turn to him and know that you are his friend and he desires to have a relationship with, with you through faith. And if, that's, if you haven't been reconciled to God, that would be your step today. But I'm guessing most of us have, so here's the move he calls us to. Now, follow me into the mess with the message of reconciliation. That's the big idea flowing out of today's uh, message. Follow me into the mess with the message of reconciliation. This is, uh, Paul summarizes this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, where he says, okay, he's talking about um, his mission and, and doing good, and he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, or the, the life mission, the service of, of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. How can the justice of God be satisfied when Adam and Eve deserve to die, and we do as well? It's because Christ took our, our penalty. And now, here's the calling, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as, God, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the big idea here is hearing Jesus say, follow me into the mess with this message of reconciliation and share this good news with those around us. So you say, what's that look like in our everyday world? And it's first asking, where's the mess in my life? And where is there a person in my life that's struggling in these areas? Paradise lost, under the curse, relationships fractured. Where's the mess at work? Where's the mess uh, uh, maybe in my neighborhood or family or, or wherever that is? And just asking God, would you give me the grace and uh, opportunity to go in and, and point them towards you? Is there any greater good that we could do Think about all the problems in the world right now, and really they all boil down to a problem of the heart where we turn from God instead of to God. And yet the power, Scripture says that this good news is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. With every passing year, this, this, and especially this ministry year, as we think about action, you know, it's one thing to talk about it, one thing to know it, one thing to study it, but are we going to do it? I love it how Jesus doesn't say, all right, guys, I'm going to teach you all about reconciliation. He's just like, we're going <laughs> and moving, and we're going to go fish for people. We're going to go be around. It means being around sinners, and it's safe in our holy huddle, but God did not call us to be hunkered down in a holy huddle until he returns. He called us to be bold and going towards the darkness. Where's the need in your life? Maybe it's one person, and we have a thing we call one life, and just praying, Lord, for that one life, that they would turn to Christ, be reconciled to God, and step into that relationship with Him. Who's your one life? And then, how can you be a part of what maybe what the church is doing in, in reaching? We're starting October, <laughs> our basketball league, and uh, middle school basketball. Last year, we had like 40 guys, many from outside our church family. We're praying for at least 60 uh, young men who would come out here and bless their families and just talk to them about the good news of Jesus Christ and, and love them and, 
and enjoy the game of basketball together, but maybe it's being a part of that. Thank you for supporting the ministries of our church family. We have, as, as, through your generosity and provision, are able to support 14 missionaries or church planters who are taking this good news, the message of reconciliation, around our, our country and around our world to the darkest places. Over the next three months, we're going to have four of those families with us. And maybe it's just coming alongside of them and saying, how can I pray for you and encouraging them and, and blessing them? One of the areas that, for a, I was talking to Doug just before the service, that's just been like, this is something that would be so cool to see. We know speed of the leader, speed of the team, and if a man's going hard after God, that's huge for the family. And so we've been asking, how can we reach men and give us a tool to reach men? And so this, uh, actually today, we are launching a thing we're calling Sportsman's Ministry, where for guys that enjoy hunting, fishing, outdoors, camping, and all that stuff, um, just creating groups that are going to have fellowship, but also an opportunity to uh, invite friends who may not know God and have some events where we would just share the message of reconciliation with these guys. And so Will Dodson is leading this. Appreciate him. His table's in the back with a, a flyer. But Will, um, in his work, has connected with some of the upper echelon of, of the uh, this subculture out there, Jim Seitz being one of them. And, and Jim did a video for us today to, to intro this. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.